Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We have NFL coaching hirings. Uh, the only vacant spot still open is the Minnesota Vikings head coaching job. We'll talk about all the ones that got filled um, and my thoughts on all of those, of course. Alvin Kamara getting arrested after the Pro Bowl for having a fight in a nightclub. Not great. Talking about possible alternatives to the Pro Bowl or just canceling it altogether. And of course, uh, the NBA trade deadline approaches, as does All-Star Weekend. So we'll talk about all the All-Stars that made it. And there are trades kicking up. Uh, Portland's made a few moves. So we get to talk about what the hell's going on there because they're kind of just a total mess. To start, Kamara. Alvin Kamara was arrested after the Pro Bowl on Sunday for an incident that occurred Saturday night. So the Pro Bowl was held in Vegas. Um, nothing good happens in Vegas. And the um, Las Vegas Police Department arrested Alvin Kamara Sunday afternoon after the Pro Bowl. So this incident happened Saturday night, and he wasn't arrested until after the Pro Bowl, which I find hilarious. Uh, but he was arrested, and he actually faces like very significant, like five. I think I saw up to five years in jail for uh, battery resulting in bodily harm. So not great for him, not great for the Saints. And I love Alvin Kamara. I always thought he was awesome. Um, obviously, he had his troubles in college when he was younger. But he hasn't really been making headlines or anything for being uh, a disturbance off the field. This isn't good, though. I did see a picture online, allegedly, of the guy he beat up. But, I mean, it looks horrible. But again, cannot find anything else that confirms that is actually the dude that he beat up. So, that's just kind of like he said, she said stuff. Uh... But it's definitely a situation to monitor in terms of what happens to him legally and then what happens to him with the NFL. Um, and happening on Pro Bowl weekend, not great. Um, again, the Pro Bowl is trash, right? So we'll just get into that now because there's really only, only so much we could say about the Kamara stuff. Uh, but the Pro Bowl is trash. This is like a game. That used to be played aggressively the same as any other game. People used to play hard. They used to play fast. And it used to be a real game. Like, you used to really have to be able to try. Now, it's a glorified two-hand touch game. I would rather them split up into different, like, smaller teams. And then just have, like, a five-on-five uh, five flag football game. And then have it like be a, a tournament. And then each after each game, you have uh, a championship game of just flag football. That would be better than what we get. Because it's literally like they do a running play and then they get like a yard, get wrapped up. And then the whistle blows immediately. Like as soon as you're touched. Sometimes they don't even get touched. They just get like pushed with one hand. It's literally two-hand touch. It's, it's terrible. It's like not, it's not fun to watch. I'm sure the guys are kind of like, I, I don't even know if they're enjoying it at this point. It's kind of like whatever. Um, 
But I'm old enough to remember when, you know, the Pro Bowl was Sean Taylor laying out a kicker on like a fake punt. It was insane, right? These guys were actually running and, and, and trying to, to hit you and, and play football. I thought it was kind of cute what they did uh, before the Pro Bowl. Like, I think it was Saturday night. Um, they had, like, all these different events that the players participated in, kind of like the slam dunk contest and the skills challenge and stuff like that. You know, quarterbacks were trying to hit moving targets uh, with their throws. You had, like, a 40-yard dash from a bunch of people. It was, like, Tyreek Hill, uh, Nick Chubb, Micah Parsons, and one other person. And Micah Parsons won. But, like, Tyreek Hill was literally, like, lightly jogging. He came in last. Obviously, Tyreek Hill's not coming in last. But Micah Parsons was moving, man. He was, he was chugging along. Like, he's, he's still very fast, even though he's obviously not the fastest out of all those guys. Um, and then you had, they had, like, a dodgeball tournament. Uh, or not a tournament, but they had a dodgeball game that looked pretty fun. Justin Jefferson made, like, a one-handed catch to win. Like, it, cute stuff like that. That stuff's fun. It's entertaining. It's silly, lighthearted. It's whatever. And then you have the, all, the, the Pro Bowl game that's being played, and, you know, everyone's going for it on fourth down. No one's actually getting tackled. And I get it. You don't want to get hurt. It's a meaningless game. That all makes sense. But if you're playing with that mindset, just don't make it full pads. You know, literally make it flag football. Like, have the guys run out there with flags. You don't even have to make it a full game. Make it half, like four on four, five on five, whatever. And just play flag football. Even You can even have the linemen playing flag football. Like, they don't have to block. Just have them run around. It would be stupid, but it would be fun at least. Because right now what they have is just like, it's just pointless totally pointless NFL head coaching filled positions like I said uh in the intro the only available head coaching spot left is the Minnesota Vikings um at one point they were rumored to bring in uh Jim Harbaugh from Michigan but Harbaugh informed Michigan that he was going to come back so his name got, uh, got removed from a few coaching candidacies. I know the Vikings and the Dolphins were two of the teams that were listed to be that. But all the head coach fillings. So New Orleans, they promoted defensive coordinator Dennis Allen as their new head coach. So they kept it internal. Um, kind of, it makes sense because it was so... I guess out of the blue, at least for us, it was out of the blue. Who knows how long New Orleans knew about it. Uh, but Sean Payton deciding to step down with a couple years left on his contract probably wasn't something that they were totally uh, prepared for. So they just promoted from within. They made Dennis Allen their head coach. Uh, I think Payton missed a game this year with COVID. And Dennis Allen had to be the head coach. I think they ended up winning that game. I forgot who it was against. It might have been 
I want to say maybe the Cowboys. Did they play the Cowboys this year? Yeah, they did because they played the Giants this year. So my, I want to say it was against the Cowboys that they won. I'm not sure entirely. But I know at one point he was the acting head coach because Sean Payton missed a week. Um, so that's fine. Makes sense. Uh, like I said, probably weren't totally prepared for Sean Payton to just leave. Uh, so Dennis Allen being their new coach, that's fine. The newest one, and maybe the one that will make you scratch your head the most, is the Houston Texans. They hired Lovey Smith. And this one is interesting because obviously there are uh, questions about the NFL's diversity problem in terms of head coaching and how little black head coaches there are. So the Texans went from David Culley firing him to hiring Lovey Smith. And personally, I, I think it's... Uh, a strange move because it feels not a strange move. It feels like a lateral move. Uh, there's no like progression forward in this case because unfortunately, if you think Lovey Smith is going to be a stopgap head coach, then that just makes another casualty in terms of uh, black head coaches in the NFL and also being scapegoats which is a narrative that is gets stronger and stronger. So if he if that's the case why fire David Coley who in all honesty did a pretty good job with a pretty shitty Texas Texans team. Now, I'm not saying Coley should Coley lost his job in my opinion when there was a whole debacle, I think it was against the Browns and they ended up instead of declining a penalty and punting, they accepted it and then punted anyway instead of going for it. It was a very weird situation. Uh, did not make any sense. Wrong moves. And that just proved it's like, okay, well, he's not maybe entirely ready to be a head coach. Um, even though he was the oldest coach in the NFL at 65 years old. Oldest first time head coach in the NFL at 65 years old. So he kind of drew the short end of the stick there, David Coley. I do feel for him. But hiring Lovey Smith, who's not younger, um, and is not, I really don't think, the guy that the Texans would benefit from. The guy the Texans would probably benefit from if they were going this route would be Brian Flores. Uh, but unfortunately for Brian Flores, he kind of twisted himself into a hole by accusing multiple teams of being racist and um, not withholding or not practicing uh, standard hiring procedures and stuff like that uh, and being prejudiced towards him and all that kind of stuff. So he really went to fight against the NFL and it may have cost him a job elsewhere and also for the immediate future, which is unfortunate because he's a good head coach. I don't think there's really anything that you could say to dispute that fact. I think he is a good head coach who got a bad, well, I mean, not got a bad rap. There have been multiple reports that he's a little difficult to work with. Um, he's a bit uh, thick-headed and, and strong-willed, you know, it's like his way or the highway kind of deal, which is what a lot of Belichick disciples kind of try to implement in their teams and it doesn't always work out well. 
Brian Flores, regardless, um, is a good head coach. But right now, him fighting the NFL, you know, teams are probably going to stay away from him for the next few years, unfortunately, because I don't think that should be the case. But it's reality. I did see the texts on Twitter of Belichick um, texting Brian Flores. They're pretty tough, man. Like, Belichick clearly messed up (laughs) and he stirred the pot for sure. But the whole lawsuit is, it feels a bit, you know, unless he gets other people on board to back him up, it's just like a he said, she said kind of thing, or he said, he said, I should say in this point. So it's not gonna, might not go anywhere, unfortunately. But Flores took a stand and, uh, Lovey Smith ended up getting hired by the Texans instead, which again, probably not the right move if you're trying to propel your team forward. It it, it should have been uh, Flores, but it wasn't. The Miami Dolphins, they hired Mike McDaniel, who was the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, a coveted guy, someone who's talked about a lot in terms of who could take over at some of these head coaching jobs. So Miami went and got him. Um, they moved on from Brian Flores. They have Mike McDaniel. Definitely a change in terms of the mentality of the head coach. Brian Flores was a defensive coordinator kind of guy. Also should be noted, Brian Flores said he was paid to, or offered to pay to lose by Stephen Ross. Forgot to mention that part. Yeah, not great. Um, and he said some things about LA being like drunk or something. I don't know. Dolphins, Giants, Denver, and the NFL. That was his loss. His racial discrimination lawsuit was against them. But anyway, Mike McDaniel, I think that's a solid hire. Uh, who knows? He, 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 he was talked about a lot and he came in real hot towards the end of the NFL season in terms of guys who should be hired to be a head coach. I personally think it should have been the guy on the other end of the ball, D'Amico Ryans. This dude is a stud of a coordinator. I mean, he was an absolute tank as a linebacker when he actually played. But as a defensive coordinator, uh, the run that the Niners went on is in no small part because of their defense. You know what I'm saying? Like They were driven primarily by that unit. And D'Amico Ryans and the schemes he drew up for everyone, for Aaron Rodgers, for Dak Prescott, like, these are not bad offenses, right? These are two of the most explosive offenses in all of football, and the Niners shut them down. And they shut the Rams down, too, for the most part, if the offense was able to put up any kind of points in the second half, they probably would have won. Like, if they scored one more touchdown. They had the opportunities to, and the offense just kept sputtering out. So the, the defense is not the reason why the Niners lost that game to the Rams, obviously. I think I'm preaching to the choir there. Most people know that. But I thought D'Amico Ryans really deserved a shot to be a head coach somewhere. Um, but Mike McDan- McDaniel gets the call. D'Amico Ryan stays put in San Francisco. I mean, there's always the off chance that he leaves to go to uh, – Minnesota, but if he's still under, I'm sure he's under contract still with uh, San Francisco, so I don't think they're going to let both of their coordinators go in the same offseason. 
The Jaguars go with Doug Peterson. So after a year off for Doug, after he got fired by Philly, he comes back to take over with Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously a huge work in progress kind of team. Um, There was an interesting excerpt. Apparently Doug Peterson wrote a book, which I didn't know about. But in said book, he talks about when he was in the locker room watching the Jaguars play the Patriots. Um, And there was a time at the end of the first half where the Jaguars had a timeout and like a minute and a half left on the clock and they just ran it out. They ran out the clock, then they took a knee and went into the locker room and they didn't even try to get in the field goal range. And in the locker room, he was saying, these guys are idiots. Like they should have went for it. They should have at least tried to get in the field goal range. They should have been more aggressive. Um, so it's interesting that that's how, uh, and he ended up saying, like, I'll never be like that. I, I will always be aggressive. And, all. and to, his, to his credit, I, I give Doug Peterson a lot of the credit for instituting this new wave of analytics and aggression in the NFL where it's like, if you're at the 45 or the 40-yard line and it's fourth and two, fourth and one, fourth and three even sometimes, go for it because it's worth it at that point. It's not worth it to punt. It's too long for a field goal. Go for it. Like that really, and even inside the red zone, fourth and, da- fourth and to go, inside the red zone, Doug Peterson goes for it. Like he's the reason why guys like Brandon Staley have a job and why Sean McVay and, and uh, these younger coaches are all very, very aggressive, sometimes a little overly aggressive like Brandon Staley. Sometimes he is a little too aggressive. Um, but he is a huge part of that. Like he really did start this whole renaissance of going for it on fourth, fourth down, uh, on your opponent's side of the field, instead of just taking the points. He was one of these guys, really the guy, I think in my mind, at least he was that. So we'll see how this works out. Obviously Jacksonville is kind of a, a toxic place to, uh, to be, but Doug Peterson you know, championship pedigree. Uh, We'll see how he does with Trevor Lawrence. The Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, huge mistake. Um, Rich Basakia should have been the head coach of this team. He should have gotten the promotion to permanent head coach instead of interim. He should have gotten a two or three year contract and he should have been their head coach. But no, instead, Josh McDaniels is the guy that they go out and they hire. Um, he leaves his OC position in New England to become the Raiders head coach. And third time's a charm, I guess, or two and a half times the charm. Because his head coaching tenure didn't work out in Denver, even though it was, it was like, it was okay in Denver. It really was. Um, and then he went to go be the head coach in Indianapolis. But he uh, was a coward and backed out and went back to New England. And now he's going back to try and be a head coach for, uh, I guess, technically it would be a second time in Vegas, which is just a total shit show of an organization, much like Jacksonville. They always have things going wrong. 
you're in Vegas, bad shit always happens, like, Basakia really, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, I still don't know if it's Basakia, Basakia, whatever, Basakia, he did a hell of a job, like, he was phenomenal in his interim tenure, I, I, I gushed about him a couple weeks ago, uh, after they lost to the Bengals in the first round, but, like, just the ability that he had to rally his team, all the late game wins that they had, and to even get to the playoffs after all of the crap that they have been through this year was something that I really admired and I really thought he should have been rewarded for. And I know it's like rewarded for sounds like a participation trophy kind of thing, but truthfully, it's like, who else could have done the job he did in given those circumstances? Practically no one. And the, the players respected him and they played hard for him. And clearly he was making a difference because Gruden was floundering uh, even before the whole email debacle. So I don't know. I, I just thought Bazaki should have been rewarded for what happened. And, and how he did and how the Raiders ended that season and how hard they played and how tough they were because they really did epitomize what you th you're supposed to think of when you think of Raiders football, which is tough nose, down to the wire, grind it out, like play hard to the very end. And they did that and they won like at least five or six of their games were down to the wire or in overtime that they won. That's very impressive. Now, if you're a sourpuss and a glass half empty kind of person, you could say, well, they were only one possession away or one mistake away from losing all those games. To which point you could say, yes, but as we all know, football is a game of inches. Uh, the Giants hired Brian Dabble. We know that already. Dable, excuse me. Uh, we already know that. I talked about that hire. The Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was the Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator. I think that's a good hire, but also is kind of like a head scratcher, kind of like with Mike McDaniel, because you have two guys at the head coaches of those organizations, Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, who are offensive minded kind of guys. So hiring their offensive coordinator, you're Hope is that they bring that kind of playbook and scheming that they got from their head coaches to your team. That's kind of what you're hoping for. Like the Broncos want this guy, Hackett, to come in and, and run an offense like Green Bay's. Obviously, that's going to be difficult because you don't have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. It's the same thing with Mike McDaniel. Like Kyle Shanahan runs very unique crazy plays, although he can't really dig into his bag when he really needs to in tight situations, especially the fourth quarter. Do you blame that? Like, people blame that on Kyle Shanahan, not Mike McDaniel. So, we'll see if Mike McDaniel can come in and, and, and scheme some things up. And you'd hope the same if you're a Broncos fan for Nathaniel Hackett. He brings in some of that unique play calling that LaFleur has. Um, but maybe a little bit more of running the football. Because you have really good running backs in Denver. And then the final head coaching uh, vacancy, another one where I thought Brian Flores would have been a really good fit. 
But again, I think the lawsuit kind of got in the way of this. The Bears hired Matt Eberfluss. <laughs> what a ridiculous name. Uh, Eberfluss, defensive coordinator for the Colts. Um, he's 51. He joins new general manager Ryan Poles, taking over the Bears. Um, he spent the past four seasons as the Colts' defensive coordinator. And the Colts' defense actually finished top 10 in scoring three times, uh, including tied for ninth in 2021 at 21.5 points per game. Interesting hire. Uh, I guess really, for me, not really sure what to make of it. But uh, yeah, those are all the hirings. Minnesota is still the last one to be filled. Moving on to the NBA, because it's important. We got some news that broke while I was recording. The most recent one, kind of a shocker, in my opinion. There are rumors that the Kings were going to trade De'Aaron Fox. However, they trade Tyrese Halliburton instead, and Buddy Heald, who's been wanting out of there for a while. So the Pacers are trading DeMontis, Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Holiday to Sacramento for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. That's a great trade for the Pacers, in my opinion. Um, they ended up trading Karis LeVert the other day as well to Cleveland, so they're kind of uh, making things a little bit interesting. They uh, So Sunday, they traded Karis LeVert and a second-round pick to uh, via Miami to Cleveland for Ricky Rubio, a lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick via Houston, and a 2027 second-round pick via Utah. So Ricky Rubio, a first and two seconds in return for Karis LeVert and a second-round pick. And then they just tr- had this enormous trade with uh, Sacramento uh, and trading Tyrese Halliburton. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the Kings are doing. I, I don't know what their plan is. They could, now that they have Sabonis, they could turn around and try and dump off Marvin Bagley somewhere because he's been chirping away for like a couple years now about he doesn't, how he doesn't want to be in San, uh, Sacramento. So uh, they, might, they might go around now and now they got another Another good all-star caliber big man. They might just go and try and get rid of Bagley or Fox. But I was under the impression that they would trade Fox and keep Halliburton because he's good. But they went and they traded Halliburton. They traded Buddy Heald, who has been unhappy for a couple years as well. Pretty much ever since Dave Yeager got fired, the Kings have been uh, a shit show again. So I was high on the Kings. They had Dave Yeager. They had Bagley, Fox. Buddy Heald, um, and they were a team that missed the playoffs by like a couple games. It was the best finish that they had had in like a decade. And then they fired Dave Yeager, hired Luke Walton. Biggest mistake they could have made because Luke Walton is a garbage head coach. Horrible. Literally one of the worst head coaches I've ever seen in my entire life. Really, really bad. And the Kings went immediately back to sucking. And they are a dumpster fire of an organization. I've said that phrase a couple times now, and I genuinely mean it when I talk about these organizations. Dumpster fires. So, I don't don't know what this does for them. Because they get Sabonis, and 
Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday. And Sabonis is good. Lamb and Holiday are good role players. What I don't know what their plan is. Do you is is your is that your plan? Because you just got rid of a really good backup point guard and a guy who can also play alongside another guard. Um, like he doesn't have to be the point guard. He could play alongside Darren Fox. Um, and Buddy Heald, who's your best perimeter shooter, and Tristan Thompson, which is like okay, whatever. But I, I just I don't understand. I, I do not understand. I really don't. I, I, I don't understand this trade. Speaking of not understanding trades, I have absolutely no idea what the Trailblazers are doing. Uh, they are a head-scratcher because the other day, they traded with the Clippers. So the Clippers traded Eric Bledsoe, Justice, Will, uh, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a future second-round pick to the Trailblazers for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. And the Clippers are sending Blazers a 2025 second-round pick via the Detroit Pistons. That was the second-round pick. I have no... Like, why? I don't understand that one at all. Um, (laughs) And then today, they traded CJ McCollum... Larry Nance and Tony Snell for Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, and Didi Lazuda, whoever the hell that is. And now everyone's talking about CJ McCollum is with Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson hasn't played all year. Like, I, I, I genuinely do not think Zion's going to play all year. At this point in time, he's closer to being a bust than being someone who deserves a max rookie contract extension. How can you possibly justify giving him all that money when he's barely played? Like, he, at this point, is considered, in my mind, injury-prone. He's going to have problems his entire career. That's what I genuinely think. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. But the Pelicans, they get CJ McCollum. That's who they wanted. That's who they got. Uh, good for them. But here's the thing with Portland. According to, to Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, Portland's plan is to fully reshape roster around Damian Lillard. Portland created a $21 million trade exemption today, or exception today, potentially $60 million in salary cap space this summer, multiple draft picks and assets via Pelicans and Clippers trades, Plan is to pursue high-end talent now, not retreat. And shout out to this dude, the top comment, Click Productions. (laughs) Bro has went through a rebuild, a reshape, a retool, a repair, a rebrand, a rebellion, a refuge. Just trade him already. Please, get Damian Lillard out of Portland. What they are doing to this man is a war crime. Like, they are stringing this dude up and torturing him. They're waterboarding him. Like, it's not fair what they are doing to Damian Lillard because it's just the same nonsense over and over. Who are you going to get to come to Portland? Because you're not getting a high-end free agent. So who are you going to trade for? You just traded away probably your biggest trading asset, which is CJ McCollum. So are you just going to... 
load up as many picks as you can and hope that someone takes. Like, I, I, I don't understand the plan for Portland because you've been trying to build around Damian Lillard and nothing's happened. And I don't know if that's because of Damian Lillard. I don't know if that's because of the team around him. But it's just, it's not working in Portland. It's not. If I'm them, I blow it all up. You trade Damian Lillard, you get a shit ton of draft picks from different teams, and just sail off into the night. You plan for the future. Maybe one day you'll draft another good player. It's been... A roller coaster. And I honestly, I partly blame Damian Lillard for all of this because he's been the guy who's like, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying, as if loyalty means something in the NBA. In any sport, it means something if you win. If you're loyal, if you win and you stay loyal, it's like they'll love you forever, right? But if you stay loyal and you're not winning, you're not even really coming close to winning then what does it matter? The, the play, Trailblazers with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have made the conference finals one time. Everything else has pretty much been a first-round exit. I think there might have been a semifinal trips in there at, somewhere, at, at some point, too. So they made one conference final, one semifinals, and have, like, five first-round exits. So I genuinely do not know what you expect from that team. How much better could you possibly get by the trade deadline? And again, you're not attracting any big free agent in the, in the summer. It never happens. It'll never happen because it's Portland, right? Sorry to go. Sorry to the people of <laughs> Portland, but, you know, no one's going to go there. So Damian Lillard's wasting away. The Trailblazers are like scrambling frantically trying to get some type of package together to go and trade for someone. Uh, It's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. And this is only the beginning because I'm recording this on Tuesday and I know that this is is just the floodgate that's opening. Uh, I'm sure the Lakers are going to be making moves. Other contenders are going to be making moves. And I'm... (laughs) I'm on Twitter scrolling right now, too, and people are furious at the Kings for this move. I guess teams didn't realize that Tyrese Halliburton was someone who was made available. Kings fans are furious on Reddit. Uh, This one, (laughs) Rob Perez, have the Kings seen Halliburton play? Chris Mannix, Sabonis is good, but moving Halliburton, who's a second-year, 21-year-old guard, who hands out seven plus assists and shoots 40% from three. And then you had uh, John Middlecoff, who I'm not sure who this is, but he's verified. Uh, Sacramento is always dumber than you think, and everyone thinks they are morons. So people are not happy with the Sacramento Kings for making this trade. Um, Indiana, in my opinion won that trade because Sabonis didn't really want to be there. Sacramento chooses De'Aaron Fox over Tyrese Halliburton, which I'm not even sure that's going to last long because I don't think De'Aaron Fox even wants to be there. But they they have him under contract, so he has to play, I guess, technically. But it is the NBA, so. 
Um, but it, it it is a it is a mess. Twitter is a mess. People are very confused by the trades going on right now. Yeah, the Kings just traded Tyrese Halliburton, who became just the fourth player age 21 and under to have 17 or more assists in a game in the last 15 seasons. The others are Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and Darius Garland. So, uh, yeah, this is tough, man. The Kings, they're a wild card because they're so, they're horrible. They're stupid. Uh, The official trade deadline is February 10th at 3 p.m. So we have a couple more days where all this stuff's going to pop off. Um, Maybe even have another one pop off before I finish recording. But there's these trades that happened. There's rumblings that uh, the Nets are going to trade James Harden, who has been... (laughs) I mean, the guy just does not try anymore. Like, really, it just does not seem like he tries. And he doesn't even pretend to try on defense. But he, he's just coasting, man. I, I don't know if the Nets are up for it. Um, they might get him out of there. That's, that's the biggest trade I've seen. And then, of course, the Sixers may be trying to trade Ben Simmons. But in my mind, the Sixers are making out scot-free in that predicament. Because Ben Simmons is, one, hemorrhaging money. Just completely bleeding money from all the fines he's accruing. Um, and two, he's diminishing his trade value. So he's a guy who wants to leave and by not playing, diminishes his trade value. And then three, the Sixers don't have to deal with him. So they're kind of just chilling. I don't even know if they really care to pay him or care to trade him. I mean, because they're not paying him and he's not with the team. So the only one really suffering here is him. And by not trading, the Sixers are kind of getting what they want because they're not letting. And by getting what they want, it's not letting Ben Simmons get what he wants. It's a very petty squabble, but there is a chance that he could be traded before the deadline. Again, I expect LeBron and the Lakers to make some moves. GM LeBron's going to come out and trade some guys for sure. Uh, Russell Westbrook might be available. Who knows? But there, there's going to be some, uh, some big-time Woj bombs in the next two days. Uh, before we get into Attack on Titan and Euphoria, because those are on every Sunday. It's my Sunday. I like watching them. And now that football is coming to an end, we get a couple of weeks with just that. But before we do all that, because I have some extra minutes here, the Knicks, oh my God, what a horrendous loss last night to the Jazz. I mean, it was horrible. They went on, I think, like a 17-0 run, 14-0 run in the game, and they still lost. Like, it was just demoralizing. Like, really, really bad. Julius Randle had an incredible game, but struggled to initiate any offense down the stretch. R.J. Barrett had 23 points on 25 shots, which is never good. Uh, And the Knicks are really missing D. Rose and Kemba not being healthy either, even though Kemba is kind of like hit or miss when he actually does play. They need like a true point guard to be able to run the offense through uh, because quickly struggles to do it. And then when it's not him, it's like Alec Burks or Randall and, and everyone struggles. 
R.J. Barrett. Cam Reddish is not getting the playing time that I think he should be getting. He was getting more playing time in Atlanta, and people saying were saying he wasn't getting enough, and he was supposed to get a lot with the Knicks. And Thibs, there was a report that came out that said Tom Thibodeau didn't want to even trade for Cam Reddish, and that was a mistake. Uh, that's just a rumor. Obviously, he would never come out and confirm something like that. But that's tough to hear, obviously. And just a brutal loss. Like, you have a four-game road trip here. I believe it's the Jazz. And then they play, I want to say the Kings? No, the Nuggets. They play the Nuggets and then the Warriors and then the Trailblazers to round out this little four-game West Coast road trip uh, before the All-Star break. It, it's it's tough, man. Like, that, like, you can't lose this game. At Utah, double-digit lead. They don't have Rudy Gobert. You just, you can't, you can't lose that game. Uh, it, it was, I mean, the defense that was being played was horrible. Uh, I think it was Royce O'Neal hit, like, three uncontested three-point shots from the same spot on the floor in back-to-back-to-back possessions. It was ridiculous. Like, everyone was open. The, the, the switching on the perimeter for the Knicks in the late game was so bad. The Jazz were getting wide-open shots, one possession after another. Uh, it, it was just a complete and total collapse for the Knicks uh, on their end. So, like, the Nets aren't playing well either, by the way, if you thought they were. They are, they are not. Um, the Nets ended up losing at one point. I think they snapped it now, but the Nets lost uh, a season high, like, or a league-wide, like, eight straight games, nine straight games the Nets lost. Uh, they are now 29-24 and 24 and five games back of Miami now, who's actually in first place. So you got Miami. Milwaukee's a game back. Chicago is a game and a half back. Cleveland's a game and a half back. Philly's two games back. And then there's a bit of separation. So one through five is very tight. And then you have Toronto at six. They're four and a half back. Brooklyn and Boston are five games back of first place. Charlotte is 28 and 27. Atlanta's 25 and 28. And that rounds out the top 10. So the seven through 10, remember, is the playing tournament, which I absolutely despise. And I need them to get rid of it immediately. Um, Washington and the Knicks are on the outside, uh, just a game. Washington's a game back of Atlanta and the Knicks are a game and a half back of Atlanta for that 10 spot. Both of them 10 and 10 and a half back of first place, respectively. For the West, Phoenix gets a little bit of a lead. They are now two and a half games in front of Golden State for the number one seed and also the best record in the NBA at 43 and 10. Golden State's in second. Memphis is the third seed in the West, and they're seven games back of the Suns, uh, 37 and 18. The Jazz are the four seed. They're 10 and a half back. So really, the fight for the one seed in the West is between Golden State and Phoenix because um, everyone else is, is pretty far back. Utah's in fourth. Dallas is fifth. The Nuggets are sixth. And then in the playing tournament right now, it would be Minnesota, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Pelicans at 21 and 32 are in the playing tournament. And then you got Portland's a half a game out, San Antonio's a game and a half out, 
and uh, even Sacramento's two games out of that 10th spot. So the East, for years, which had been touted as the easy conference, is now actually way more competitive than the West. Because in the West, if you look at some of the play-in teams, um, you have Charlotte and Atlanta, who are 28 and 27, and Atlanta's 25 and 28. They would be, they're the ninth and 10th seed in the East. They would be like up near the 7th and 8th seed in the West. So the East now a little bit more competitive than the West was, which everyone knew for years that the West dominated as the more uh, intense league and the East was kind of just like a run in the mill, like LeBron owned it forever. So it's evened out now competitive wise, but uh, doesn't mean NBA basketball is still hard to watch. It's easy to watch. It's it's pretty hard to watch regular season basketball. I'm not going to lie to you. All right, so that's our uh, wrap-up for the NBA. The All-Stars, I didn't go through them, but uh, LaMelo Ball makes an All-Star team. DeJounte Murray from the Spurs makes an All-Star team because I think Draymond Green and Kevin Durant are not playing, so those two guys are the replacements. Uh, My guy Devin Booker made it. Let's just run through all the All-Stars. So it looks like they're doing the draft again. Um, it was, so it's scheduled 6.30 p.m. Thursday, February 10th is the All-Star Game. Is that what it says? Oh, no, that's the draft show. Silly me. But the team captains are LeBron and Durant. Durant's not playing, so he doesn't count. Um, but originally, the teams were Team LeBron, Team Durant. You had Giannis, Steph, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid, Jokic, Morant, Wiggins. And shout out to Andrew Wiggins. Trey Young, Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic, Fred Van Vliet, Carl Anthony Towns, Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Zach Levine, James Harden, Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert, and Darius Garland. I know Durant and Draymond Green aren't playing, so LaMelo Ball and DeJounte Murray got all-star nods. Rudy Gobert, I don't know if he's playing, and James Harden, he's, he's been sitting out the past couple games with uh, injuries, but I don't know. I guess they're going to play because this was yesterday. Charlotte Hornets guard LaMelo Ball and San Antonio's guard DeJounte Murray have been named by Commissioner Silver as injury replacements for the 2022 NBA All-Star Game. Ball will replace Kevin Durant and Murray will replace Draymond Green. In addition, Boston Celtics forward Jason Tatum was also selected as an all-star reserve, will replace Durant as a starter. Um, I guess that's it. I guess everyone else is is playing. So Gobert sat out last night against the Knicks. I guess he's playing. Mitchell's been day-to-day. He's playing. I guess Harden's still playing, even though uh, he's sitting out tonight, Tuesday, with a hamstring injury, and I think he sat out uh, the other game, the past, the past game the Nets had with an hamstring injury that's been left hamstring quote-unquote tightness um people are iffy about that I don't know but yeah so LaMelo Ball the youngest all-star since LeBron James um he is I think the fifth youngest all-star ever to play who to appear in an all-star game so let me see if I could find the full list it was Kobe who is still the uh, youngest 
He was 19 and 169 days old. Then LeBron was 20 years old, 52 days. Magic Johnson, 20 years old, 173 days. LaMelo Ball, 20 years old, 182 days. So he is the fourth youngest all-star ever. Shout out to LaMelo Ball. Um, and shout out to Kobe Bean. Here's a wild rumor I just came across on NBA Twitter. Uh, from Callan Mack. No idea who this guy is. He's verified somehow, but he has 8,000 followers. Just heard a rumor from an internal reliable source for that the Sixers are acquiring James Harden in a trade with the Nets for Ben Simmons, Danny Green, and a 2023 first round pick. Deal expected to be officially announced in the coming hours. That was at 11.30 a.m. We'll see. I don't think that's real. <laughs> I, I, I do not think that's real at all. But whatever. I mean, does it sound plausible? Yeah, it sounds like a realistic trade, I would say. Do I think it's real? No. All right, we'll wrap up the show with Attack on Titan and Euphoria. Uh, Attack on Titan, the rumbling has started. We got it. Uh, shit's bananas, man. I mean, each episode just gets better and better and better. And Aaron bringing everyone into pads at the end and telling them, I'm going to trample the entire world like so badass. Guy's a nut job. Uh, it just really, 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 really good storytelling by Isayama. And if you're all confused, if someone's confused, we'll wrap. Here's how the plans worked out. Initially, the plan was to initiate a small-scale rumbling that would destroy the forces of Marley and it would buy the island of Paradise decades of peace without people trying to kill them, right? Then Zeke's plan comes along and he's like, I'm going to euthanize everyone and make them unable to reproduce, which in his mind was a very humane uh, plan. But for the people of Paradise, the other Eldians, they were like, well, eventually we're going to grow old and be, un be unable to defend ourselves and everyone's just going to get slaughtered. Like, that doesn't stop people from trying to kill us. Correct. Aaron pretends to go along with the plan. Armin knows that Aaron is, or Armin assumes that Aaron has his own plan to which he was right. And then Armin sees that all the titans in the walls have been released, not just the small scale one wall rumble, uh, titans that the original plan was. So he's like, okay, something's wrong because there's way too many titans that have just gotten released for this to happen. To which Eren brings all the Eldians into paths and says, the world will not stop until we're all dead. So I'm going to kill the entire world. <laughs> Unbelievably ridiculous rationalization. I love it. Um, but those are everyone's plans. So Aaron's like, I'm going to trample the world. And we don't know what happened with Zeke's. Uh, it looks like Aaron kind of like sucks him into whatever kind of Titan that he's in, in the founding Titan. Um, cause Zeke's not dead. I don't think, uh, they didn't show him die. They just kind of saw, saw like a flash and like that, uh, parasitic stuff wrap over him a little bit. So I think Zeke's still alive. Um, and now Aaron is going to attack the outside world with all of his colossal titans. And we're going to see probably less of him. I think now the story is going to, I don't think, I know the story is going to shift more between, um, 
or to the the scouts. It's going to go back to them because we haven't seen them in a couple episodes. It's been really about Aaron and Zeke and in paths and everything about that. So now we're going to get more of everyone else trying to deal with whatever the hell is happening. I think there's six more episodes left. No, there's uh, seven more episodes left. Yes, seven more episodes left because this was the fifth episode and I think they said there's going to be 12 episodes of part two, um, which would be, I think, 27 episodes in total for season four, which would be the longest season of Attack on Titan because season one, I think, was 25 and season two was 12 and season three was like 22, 23 episodes. So it's going to be the longest season. Um. Lot to cover in seven episodes. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the last couple episodes like 45 minutes long. Just made them double. Because uh, there is a lot to cover. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do it in seven episodes. But uh, they could. They might. But I- I'm not sure. They might have to extend them a little bit. But I'm very excited for the coming weeks. It's going to be awesome. Especially now. Like It's going to fill my Sundays very, very nicely. Um, and also Demon Slayer ends... Next Sunday, kind of a short season, 11 episodes, whatever it was. Have not watched that. I'll probably watch it this week. I'm, almost, I'm binging One Piece also. So when I'm done with Fishman Island, which is like episode 570-something it's done, I'll probably crush Demon Slayer in like a couple days and then go back to One Piece. But Demon Slayer, I heard, is unbelievable this year. Like the animation... First of all, (laughs) my friend told me it costs like 90K per episode to animate, which I believe because I see the animation and it's just like, it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. So I believe that. I'm very excited to watch Demon Slayer because I really liked season one. And obviously it's like one of the best new gen anime out there and has everyone's nuts in like a vice grip. People love it. So I'm excited to watch Demon Slayer. I'm cherishing each episode with Attack on Titan. I really wish I never read the manga because this would have been like literally so much better of an experience. But you make mistakes in life and you got to learn from those mistakes. Even so, watching everything unfold in animation has been crazy. Like it still blows my mind. Um, and then you have Euphoria. This episode of Euphoria was crazy. Very, very intense. Um, it was like Rue's freakout episode. So we find out that her mom, because Jewel, after Elliot told Jules that Rue wasn't sober, Jules told her mom that she wasn't sober, and they found her suitcase filled with drugs and flushed them all down the toilet, which is obviously a huge problem for Rue because that's 10K worth of drugs that just got flushed down the toilet that she needs to repay this woman otherwise she's going to be in a lot of trouble i think she gave her 2k in cash that she stole she was complete kleptomaniac the entire episode stealing shit running around doing parkour on like cars and shit running through traffic high anxiety level episode um and then of course you have the complete meltdown in the howard house between she goes to lexi's house lexi lets her in And then Lexi's mom's like, you look horrible. 
And she goes upstairs and she's like, she is not okay. And Lexi gets scared. And then Cassie says some like weak ass, half hearted, like run of the mill poster board. Take it one day at a time. And she was like smiling like she said something nice, which I think she really did mean. But it was obviously some cheesy shit. And then Rue just lets it rip, like sweating, going through terrible withdrawals. Let's it rip on Cassie's like, hey, Cassie, how long have you been fucking Nate Jacobs? And Maddie's just like, what? Cassie does not play it off well at all. She immediately starts like hyperventilating and like crying and Maddie's berating her all in the in the midst of Rue, who is going through like devastating withdrawals. It is quite a scene, like really, really good on everyone's part. Um, I was raving about. Cal and Cassie and, you know, Eric Dane and Sydney Sweeney, how they've been really acting their asses off this season. But uh, Zendaya just had her moment as Rue this season where it's like she really got to show off her acting chops and just let it rip. Like there was a- anger, sadness, fear, the crying, the screaming, the aggression, like she really kind of flexed all of her acting muscles in this episode and she has to be taken seriously as one of the best actors around right now that's currently working because she's incredible. She's crushing it. So uh, she probably locked in herself for another Emmy for this show and for this episode. I think... Eric Dane and Sydney Sweeney also deserve some recognition as well because those three together have been crushing it this season. And now next week, this was our Rue episode. This was our Rue meltdown episode, which you knew what was coming because she relapsed and obviously nothing good leads to that. So we knew this was coming. This was her meltdown episode. And then next week, we're going to get a culmination of her, her family, Jules, Elliot, uh, and then, of course, the the main course of next week's episode is going to be Maddie going scorched earth on Cassie and Nate. That shit's going to finally hit the fan, and uh, it's going to be... <laughs> it's going to be so, so good. It's going to be so, so, so good. Uh, all right. I think that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Next week, Super Bowl recap, NFL season recap. We get to go over that, of course. Very exciting, uh, but also bittersweet because it's the official end of the NFL season. Talk about that and then get into some more basketball. Talk about the rest of the trade deadline uh, and all that. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday.